He's the man in the back of the room. Y con la voz de Dios. He's told U.S. presidents where to sit, CEOs where to go, and stars when to shine. But as he likes to point out, Who cares? I care. It's true, she cares. And so does he. He's entertainment and production agency owner and meeting and event master, Anthony Bellotta. She's his Agent 99, and you're about to be Bellottified. Hi, friends, and welcome to another episode of Bellotified, the one, the only podcast about events, entertainment, and engagement. I'm Anthony Bellotta, and I'm here as I am every week with the delicious, always optimistic Alexia Cristina Postelidis. It's nice to see your face. So, uh, so what's on your mind today? Well, I'm glad that you asked because, as you know, we Greeks invented parties and rituals. If we and don't know, we're going to know for sure. We're going to know. This is true. And, you know, with the holidays and all the cooking and everything, this morning I woke up thinking, but can you say that three times fast? I actually probably could. <laughs> what does it mean? It means never give someone a knife. You can sell them a knife, but never give them a knife because it's believed that a knife blade will cut or sever the ties between the giver and the receiver. So you don't ever want to do that. Oh. Yes. And so, um, as my family often does, what what did you say? Or maybe you do want to. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if you if you want to end a relationship, that's a good way to do it. It's no what happened. What happened to you? Well, my cousin Constantina got engaged. Now, it was a really big deal because she was 32. You know, so everybody, everybody would say, Dina, I never think this would happen for you. Right. They've been waiting. They've been waiting. She was like a Christmas cake the day after Christmas. Kind of done. Um, so the family threw her a big engagement party, right? That's what we do. And her betrothed, who, by the way, was named Constantine, was an up and coming chef. Now, Constantina thought this would be a really nice engagement present. So she bought him a very high quality chef's knife, right? One that he'd been saving up for and eyeing. Unfortunately, he became very angry. His whole family, super superstitious, right? And so he accused Constantine of wanting to break up the engagement. And the whole family jumped into his side. And the next thing you know, they're fighting and name calling and throwing baklava at each other. And Constantina was over in the corner, weeping in her red cena. It it was a mess. So Constantine's Yaya stood on a chair and yelled, Nastamatisi, which means stop. She pulled out a bag of coins, handed them to Constantine and told him to give the coins to Constantina. This wards off the bad luck associated with the knife giving, right? Because if you give money, you're not giving a knife, you're selling. So he gave her the coins. She took them freely, accepted the coins, proving she was not breaking off the engagement. And all was well. avoided. Thank yes. you. Yaya, once again. <laughs> once again. Yaya is always to the rescue. Always, always, always to the rescue. <laughs> no, wait, before we go on, what, what is the word for stop in Greek? Nastamatisi. Oi, oi, oi. It's, 
It's just proof that the Greeks are also maybe just a bit verbose. Teeny tiny. You know. Oh, you'll have to spell that out for me. I will. I will. I'll send it to you in an email because, you know, I want you to, and I'll never give you a knife ever. Thank you. So what's on your mind? Well, you know, it's that time. (gasps) Is it what I'm thinking? Let's get tipsy. Considering the idea of bringing in a celebrity artist to help celebrate a big milestone, but don't know where to start. Well, start by taking yourself out of the equation as a planner, unless, in fact, you do represent the audience. And focus instead on who it is you want to create the most excitement for. Use their demo and psychographics in determining who may most appeal to them. And remember, the more relevant the name, the higher the fee. It's not price gouging, it's economics, supply and demand. With celebrity, however, the timeline of that demand may be very short, so the desire to milk every possible dollar out of it is not irrational. There you have it, your tip of the day, celebrity booking. Woohoo! Okay, before we get started, if you're a new listener, please take this time to like and subscribe. Go ahead. We'll give you a sec. Why, thank you. Who is waiting for us to stop (laughs) whatever you said in Greek and move on? (laughs) To stomach these things. Okay. Well, our guest today started working for the National Speakers Bureau in 1980, a firm founded by his father in 1972. He went on to become president as well. And then in 2018, NSB became a division of Premier Speakers Bureau. So our guest has been very active in the events industry, having served on the International Board of Meetings Professional International and as the president of the International Association of Speakers Bureau, Speakers Bureaus, excuse me. He works with meeting planners and event owners around the world, helping them to achieve their event aspirations. Please welcome Senior Vice President of the National Speakers Bureau, Mr. Brian Hummer. Thank you, Alex. Anthony, nice to be here with both of you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Lovely to have you here. So, Brian, I've gotten to know you very well in the last year. And I think uh, in the worlds of MPI and Speakers Bureaus, you are very well known. In fact, I think... I've heard somebody refer to you as a pillar in the industry. So for the sake of those who may not know you, do you mind if we just start with something we call 10 quick questions? 10 quick questions. 10 quick questions. Yay! Let's go. Okay, so Alex has the clock. Two minutes, 10 questions, easy as pie. We're ready to go. Question number one, Brian Palmer. Do you believe in miracles? No. What do you love most about what you do? The happiness that the right event plan can bring to the event owner and how it can move the reason for the gathering forward. 
when was wow. the last time you tried something new? I was married for 31 years. I'm not anymore. <laughs> That's I'm... new. <laughs> Dating. Dating. There you go. Uh, that is new. When, uh, what's the first word that comes to mind when you think about you? Strong. Pick one. Award show or beauty pageant? My mom was Miss America in the 1953, was Miss Michigan in the Miss America contest in 1953. So oh my gosh. I, say I love it. You are the first person to say beauty pageant and I have been waiting. Thank you. More to come on that. What is the most memorable live concert show or festival you've ever experienced? Led Zeppelin, 1975, Chicago Stadium. Wow. That is a memory. What do you think about while you're driving? That's a good question, because I kind of fancy myself a race car driver. I see, a, I see a corner, and how can I most effectively drive through this corner? I love it. So you're, uh, you are strategic, driving strategically. If Mickey Mouse weren't famous, would you have him over to your home for dinner? I just found mouse droppings in my garage. The answer to that is no. No. <laughs> Maybe it was Mickey himself. Maybe. Uh, Brian, have you ever done drag? No. Something to look forward to. And number 10, what's the one thing you wish you could stop doing? <sighs> Eating <laughs> as much as I do. Okay. Isn't eating, though, one of those really fabulous things about life? One of the pleasures, the joys of life? For me, for, food is fuel for me. I like food and I like to go out to eat, but I just eat a little bit too much. I'm not overweight, but I, I'm always eager to get a little bit leaner. And I just wish I could eat a little bit less. Welcome to the Greeks world. <laughs> I, I I can understand that. I, I feel that, you know, being Italian, you know, especially when something tastes so good mm -hmm. and you know that you should have stopped three or four bites ago, you're full, you don't need any more, but it tastes so good. It's so hard to stop. And then, and then you have a relative would you like some more of this dish that I made? Oh, no, thank you. And they don't listen and they, they bring you more anyway. Right, right. Because no means yes. Kind of. For sure. In Greek, it does. In Italian, it does, for sure. It's, yeah, 100%. Ray Romano did a really great bit on that. It's very, very funny about how to not get any more. You literally have to carry a gun with you if you're an Italian household. So, Brian, you have been doing this for a long time, and National Speakers Bureau has been around for over 50 years now, and uh, you've made an impact. But I'd love to know um, about what it is you do and how it impacts the meeting and events community. Well, in 
what I do is help people fashion successful events, effective events. Um, and I, I can't say that that impacts the industry. It can impact a meeting and it can impact that person's role. But considering their criteria, what their objectives are for a particular session or a particular event, making recommendations that fit those criteria and will support those criteria and handling things in ways that will help make that happen. That can very likely improve that session, improve that event, and make sure that that event pr provides a good return on the investment or return on um, the expectations. People are a lot more deliberate these days than they were in 1980 about why they're spending all this money to put on this event. It better have a benefit to the organization, the association, the corporation. It better deliver on why they're spending all this money flying in all these people, taking them out of the workplace, bringing them together. That's got to be right. That's got to go well. And the right speaker can have a really positive impact on that. And the wrong speaker can have a, a negative impact on that. Now, um, uh, is in terms of impacting the industry, you know, years ago, 1980, I joined MPI, I go to the first meeting, I ask people for their cards, I come back and I see my dad and I said, dad, look at all these business cards that I got. And he takes, I hand them to him, he, looked, he just looks at the pile of them and he threw them in the trash. He said, don't go to those meetings to collect business cards, pay attention to what's going on, learn about the industry and go out of your way to improve the organization. So that's kind of been my perspective on MPI and the other industry events that I've been a part of. Although when my dad kind of in a huff walked out of his office, I did dive into his trash can and I got those business cards, but I did heed what he said. And I think it made a big difference in the way I, I approached and explored the, um, the event industry. And, and, and I think it's, it's, it's made a difference for the organizations and it's also made a difference to, to our company, paying attention to what's going on in the industry, just not paying attention to our business. Mm -hmm. And in, in essence, he was really giving you the best sales advice ever. It still applies, you know, rather than yeah. focus on your desire for business, focus on what, where the need is and fill it and help to be part of a solution rather than I'm selling something, which is great advice. Yes. And obviously you've, you've taken that to the nth degree because you wouldn't be called a pillar in the industry. If in fact you didn't um, get on board with organizations like MPI and, and get your hands dirty and step in and take on some of the hard jobs. Um, tell us about that, would you please? Because you know, today I still say to young people coming into the industry, the best thing you can do is to join an organization and volunteer and get involved. Tell us about how that worked for you and your business, if you would. Well, it, right away, I, I volunteered they said we're, we're forming these committees i volunteered for a committee and i uh tried to be a good committee member um, i've certainly learned that a lot of people volunteer to be on these committees but work 
gets them busy and people often don't follow up on their committee responsibilities or they read the if you're on a board you read the you know, the proverbial reading the board book on the flight to the um to the event i always wanted to be a good committee member and when you're a very good committee member and it doesn't you don't have to work that hard to be a great committee member but do your job be timely um don't be selfish there's a very good chance you're going to ask to be the chair of that committee next year um and then when you do a good job chairing the committee and running the committee you get asked to be on the board a, a few years after that and that's that kind of thing has happened and um and I, I think also setting um an example for other committee members or other people in the organization it, it and making a contribution not just feathering our own nests when we work on a committee but also helping the organizations and considering what their strategic plan is and that the objectives for that organization and, and contributing toward that rather than just um like i did when i went to my first meeting collecting business cards and trying to to be in uh in contact with as many people as i as i can a lot of people are asked to join mpi and their boss um is demanding of them to try to bring business from that right out of the right out of the box. The actual turnover rate for members in a lot of professional organization is really high because the the payoff is not immediate. And the boss says, "I, you joined, we paid, you went, and you didn't bring us a lot of business." Uh, MPI has been a wonderful, and other organizations have been a wonderful source of business for my company, but that wasn't a result of my first couple of years of membership. It took many, many years and a network of referrals to make that happen. And, and I, I probably like the two of you, I've got clients that I worked with 35 years ago that still refer me and still come to me. And that's because I didn't try to sell them uh, on something that I, I was peddling right out of the box. I did something else well, people tell people notice when you do and um, they talk about you and they call on you. If I may add, you, you also in a sense, put your money where your mouth is in mm -hmm. that when you stepped up to the plate and you did volunteer, you followed through and you exemplified the best that a, a, a volunteer can be. And that is the best way to show people your worth rather than talk about it, just show them. And you don't have to make big statements and throw that in their face. You just have to just do and follow through. And knowing you as I've, I've, come to know you in the last year, I already know you're not the guy who pushes past people to be the leader. You're the guy who listens and then steps in when he's got a solution and um, does so quietly and doesn't need a lot of hoopla and hurrah around him to do the job. And and that's that's the best 
that's the best way to be because at the end of the day, you're showing all of these people who you might never ever have an opportunity to be with who you are as a, an individual, as a professional. And uh, thank you for that because it exemplifies really the best in the best way to, to, to forge relationships. This is a relationship business and uh, the best way to keep them because no, absolutely. Thank you. Now I know why we were, I knew this before, but for, for people who, who don't know, Brian was my mentor for the last 18 months um, as I went through the master's program and I was able to rely on him for really calm, collected advice. And he helped me through something um, that, uh, that we still continue to work on today, uh, quite frankly, because of, of Brian's help. Um, so I, I say this with all sincerity and, uh, and uh, that's all I have to say. Let's move on. I'm still, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to start telling myself, go ahead. I have a question for you. Would you advise people coming into the industry to take one volunteer, you know, or volunteer for one organization and do it really well, or maybe pick one or two or two or three, what would be your advice on that? Spread yourself wide or focus and, you know, narrow and focus. Well, I, I, uh, as a general rule, I think you should try to do a really good job with whatever you're doing. Um, You can be a member of multiple organizations and you could probably do a pretty good job, but I wouldn't take on uh, too much. I've seen a lot of people. We've all seen a lot of people get really bound up by um, volunteer responsibilities. And it's a, it, there are people who were very quick to volunteer who, who rarely delivered, mm-hmm. um, had a lot of charm, always showed up delightful, but didn't come to the committee meetings or the day of the event, couldn't make it or wh- whatever, whatever task they might've been given. They publicly, they're, they're, there's the, the the hoopla and the and the sparkly, but behind the scenes, they didn't hand in the report, and um, so so I I'd I'd, I'd limit it and do an excellent job. There's if you really shine when you volunteer and do an excellent job because we're all busy, we're all um, have a lot of responsibility. And um, when, when, when people say, well, work got in the way, you know, I've got a, a, I've got a real job. Well, then you shouldn't have volunteered or why don't you resign? Um, and I've said, when I said, why don't you resign? People say, no, that'll, that'll look bad. And I've told, suggested to people that, well, you look bad right now. So, so um burn a little midnight oil occasionally for your work but also to keep the commitments the volunteer commitments that you've made yeah i couldn't agree more thank you for that what if anything is different now than pre-pandemic for you in the way that you operate well there's there's 
more of a there. There's something just popped into my head that made me smile, but also inside I'm frowning. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm not laughing inside. Uh, uh, I'm not crying. You're crying. No, I'm not. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> the the um, an actual event. It used to be somebody spoke at an event and they deliver their speech. Everybody applause. Everything goes great. Um, before the pandemic, people started wanting to record the speaker's presentation in, in a variety of ways um, and perhaps utilize that um, somehow after the fact. And that's an arrangement that can be complicated um, in terms of rights and ownership. Um, now, post-pandemic, there's the virtual component that there's the, the or what's now referred to as um, if it's a live event, they also want to live stream it and they also want to record it. And they might want to take bits and pieces of that and edit it to create a different product that's made available. So the variety of ways that a, uh, a speech can be utilized has, has grown a lot. And virtual meetings have are not going to go away. Um, I think we learned that we can do a lot of things virtually and not necessarily bring people together, or we can use our skills in putting on virtual meetings to do some things that we've never thought of. So the, the variety of ways that events can be, uh, and a, a speaker at an event can be utilized has grown a lot lately. And you just, you need to be mindful and you also need to ask questions because very often people um, at the time of booking the speaker, they didn't, they didn't realize that all these things could be done or somebody after the, the contract is, is, uh, is struck, they want to change things around. So uh, discussing it in detail um, before the fact um, can probably save a lot of time and maybe some money and certainly some some heartache. Mm -hmm. um, do any lawyers listen to your show? Uh, probably not. All right. Well, good, because, <laughs> because um, I'm from Illinois. And El Illinois is run by lawyers, and a lot of our, a lot of things and transactions and things that we do by statute have to have a lawyer there, or laws are created to make sure that a lawyer needs to come along and make sure it it goes goes well. I'm not. I mean, this isn't speculation on my part. This that that's fact written into the law. Um, there was a lot of legal machinations when COVID started and meetings were so profoundly um, altered or canceled and lawyers came in and helped those discussions and transactions um, take place and, and executed. Uh, but they didn't leave. They, they stayed. And um, almost every 
bookings, speech booking now is under some sort of legal review. And I'm I'm shocked that, that organizations are willing to spend that much time and money on legal review for minor things. Legal review, spend thousands of dollars of legal review on a speaker that costs a few thousand dollars. Um, um, and when, when I suggest that we establish a, a contract that their legal people will approve of and use that going forward, that usually is not accepted. And I, I, I don't know, I don't know why, but it's, it, it's, it, it's gotten really complicated and it's eating a lot of time and, um, um, the willingness to take risk on something with ex infant, you know, just astonishingly long odds is almost zero. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was recently handed a 12 page contract for, for a, a speaker who's getting paid $3,000. And they wanted that speaker to, to indemnify the organizations against all claims. And I don't think a, a person making $3,000 should be expected to indemnify a $26 billion organization. Do you think this is a function of uh, procurement departments um, doing the buying or is this across the board you're finding it? Yeah, it's, a, it's across the board. I think people are scared about making a mistake. I think very often um, uh, legal departments like to scare people and, and to, to suggest that if you don't do it this way, your role, your job could be in peril. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I, I have to say we face the same thing in our world. And, and, and you've been you've said that our worlds are very similar, that of speaking and entertainment. They are. And I've, I've faced the very same uh, issue, especially when it comes to headliner booking and, and the issues that we deal with. I assume you do on, on with some of your you know, heavy hitting, heavy hitting speakers, the issues that we deal with in trying to get the corporate lawyers to understand why the verbiage is as it is and what their responsibilities are in case of a force majeure or a cancellation is very, very difficult because of course they're there to protect their interests. Uh, but it, it can be stifling and it can uh, prolong the contracting period and make it more difficult. Uh, and in some in some instances, I've quite frankly taken the approach of just pushing back on those attorneys because they're really not being very uh, rational. I mean, if they bring a group of people to Northern California for an event and there is an earthquake while we're there, the artist needs to be paid. That's just the way it is. You brought us there. You're the reason we're there. 
but if not for this booking, we wouldn't be there. So I, I think there's a certain responsibility that still has to come with, as you say, taking a risk, putting your neck out on the other end, on the other side. And I do feel for you because I, I, I sense and sometimes feel like being in the middle of that equation, all eyes are on you to make it right. And that's not always possible, is it? No. And your point about pushing back and your point about saying no. See, here's the thing. The, 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 the headline act, the big speaker, is usually decided on men and women at a very high level. And they've put time and effort into examining the possibilities and making that decision. And then when some, uh, somebody else comes along and provides an impediment to making that happen, um, it, that eats up not just the lawyer's time or the, the procurement's time and my time, but also the men and women that made that decision. So being firm occasionally with the no, with, you know, when they know that, that they're not willing, they're not being willing to um, agree to a pretty common fundamental uh, uh, provision in the contract, that's going to wait. That's what perhaps wasted the time of the executive's, making that decision. They, they want to ha have a good contract, but they also don't want to really um, irritate and use up the time of the, the men and women in the, in the big offices who uh, made that choice. And, and pointing in that direction occasionally has served me, served me well. Good point. Mm -hmm. Really good point. Thank you for sharing that. So, Let's pivot, one of my favorite words. <laughs> Very controversial word. How does work-life balance look to you? I have kids, but they're older, but I talk to them a lot. I've got a really good um, exercise habit. And... Um, uh, so between um, my exercise habit, talking to my kids, I like to read a lot. I have a race car that I built and that I work on. Um, I derive great pleasure out of torquing a bolt. And that needs to be written down. Yes, it does. <laughs> so if this bolt needs to be torqued down to 80 foot pounds, setting my torque wrench to 80 and pulling that on that and hearing it go click, knowing that I've done the job perfectly. I think a corollary to that is I like doing the dishes. And the reason why is all day long, I'm not sure I'm doing exactly the right thing. But when I'm doing the dishes, I know that that dish is clean and I'm doing the right job. And when I walk out of that kitchen, I know that things are done perfectly. Nice. That's really lovely. It's taking pleasure in the small things. Instead of sweating the small things, you're taking pleasure in them. Yeah. And that's that's a nice philosophy. I like that. Yeah. 
we were on site last year for something and working really hard. It was long days and it, you know, making sure the napkins were folded right and the dishes were placed just at the right and the chair. And I had so much fun doing it because in that moment I could be very zen and just make sure each little task was exactly how it needed to be. And I could walk away knowing it was done and nobody else had to be involved. And there was no questioning of what I was doing. And in that little brief moment, it it was, it was very, for as hard work as it was, it was very meditative. And I thoroughly enjoyed doing it. And I'm looking forward to doing it again at the end of the month. So I I completely understand what you're saying. Sometimes on site, I'm nervous about something. And one of the ways I calm myself is look for some handouts to put out. I'm very good at putting handouts on (laughs) on chairs or or putting out little tent cards. Um, uh, I I was asked to address tent cards and I have pretty nice handwriting. And the the planner said, hey, would you come to all my events and do my fancy uh, (laughs) tent cards? I, I know what you mean. Just a, a little job done well is very satisfying mm-hmm. for me. Yeah. Well, and I, I have to, if you don't mind me adding that, your your proclivity to jump in and hand out flyers or place, mm-hmm. you know, pen your use your penmanship all points to the value that you bring over and above booking a speaker. You know, you're part of the team and you're there to obviously make sure everything goes well and that everybody's happy at the end of the day exactly what you you said at the beginning of this podcast and that again reflects on on you you know it's it's just it's i see somebody always trying to bring more value and even if it's just to keep busy and not be nervous it's still better than locking yourself in your room and coming down just before the speech or having a cocktail you know it's just so much more productive and and brings so much more value in ways that you can't put a price tag on these are the ways that that make you different from all the other players, right? Those who are just sort of booking and leaving and walking away to the next deal. So thank you for that. Because even though you think it may not make the industry better, it does because it shows people the way it should and could be done. And that always serves us all. So um, I move on. If you could ask your clients in that vein, to do one thing and know that they would follow through, what would you ask them to do? I think that the the critical question period is at the start and ask them why they're having an event, the event, and get a really clear picture why they're having the event and what their objective is for the event, that session, and what they want the speaker to accomplish. I think... I can help ensure a better result if I've got those questions and I work on their the their answers to the to the questions. But if they've considered my questions and answered those questions, it then becomes a lot easier for them to make a decision. If the goal is just to have a speaker, that's a pretty hard decision to make. Mm-hmm. So when you've got a group of people, everybody whose definition of a great speaker is different, mm-hmm. trying to choose somebody and they've not thought those questions through 
um, it can it can eat up a lot of time. And I've got just wonderful stories about people looking at 30, 40, 50. The record was 113 speakers. Presented to a potential right. client, a client who was potentially looking at 113 speakers. Well, that one, I bought out at about 70. And they continued the process and they ended up hiring a guy. And I called the client after and I said, how'd it go? The guy said, the guy said, Brian, if you ever need a room cleared out quickly, <laughs> book that speaker. <laughs> so the speaker that they ended up choosing was, was not a fit and it did not go well. And it was so bad that people got up and left. Now that's what? a that's an overly dramatic story. Could you? I, could I'm sorry, sorry. Well, I can't tell you how many times people have looked at a lot of speakers, but ended up hiring somebody that was recommended early on. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like I remember my daughter going to the mall boot shopping. She had to go to it was a fancy mall, had a lot of nice stores, and she went to a bunch of them trying to find the perfect boots. Um, she f started out at Nordstrom and she ended up buying some there, but she had, she had to look at them all. Um, and there was in, in that case of the 113, there, there were four pretty high level people at this or in, in this organization who put a lot of time into making this decision. And, and it was a, it was a big waste of time. And had they had, some objectives in place. They essentially said, we, we, we'll know when we see it, but they didn't have a very clear picture of what they were after. Having a clear uh, um, goal with that session in mind and the criteria for the speaker helps them, helps me make good recommendation and helps them make decisions quicker and better. Are, are, there, are there questions, maybe one or two or three questions that you would offer up for them to think about in advance if they don't know what their objective might be? Is there a way to get to that? Well, I think I mentioned before, one before, why are you having this meeting? Mm -hmm. What's your goal with this session? Um, I often ask people what speakers have done very well for you in the past, because that might give me a clue. And I also ask about speakers that maybe didn't do as, as well as they would have liked and asking the why, you know, why did, did she do so well? And why didn't he do well? That paints a pretty clear picture of um, uh, what worked for them and what they, what they might like. But at the same time, it's not a good idea to hire the same kind of speaker. And you know, this client, they had a fighter pilot at the event. My people loved him. Let's hire another fighter pilot. Oh. And I yeah. suggested that that maybe wait a few years before you have another yes um, mm -hmm. fighter pilot. Um, and it's also wise to vary the kind of speakers that you have at your event, because if you keep having the same kind of speaker, you might be delighting a segment of your audience, but um, uh, disappointing others. How how uh, instrumental or how much of a, an impact, I should say, is uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity having 
on the speaker choices. Any? Are companies looking for more diverse speakers? Are they asking oh, you? They are. They are. And that, and it's changed. Um, we always had this rule. I mean, 20 years ago, you, your proposal cannot be a bunch of middle-aged white guys. And that habit has really paid off, that re really paid off well. But only a fraction of the speakers at an event are outside speakers. Mm -hmm. Maybe at an association, it's, it's different. But organizations often book those speakers that they know or those speakers that work in the organization or work in the industry first. And then they say, well, we need some outside speakers. And the speakers, the palette of speakers that they've hired is not very diverse. So there's a lot of pressure on people like me to bring in, bring help present the diversity mm -hmm. for their, their meeting. So people in my business complain a lot, you know, there's so much pressure. I, I, I can't recommend men anymore. Um, but I think that's a function of being, that's a role that we can play to help our clients by being skilled and know who a lot of those people are because they've, they've gone to their logical candidates for, for a lot of the slots. Now they're looking to us to bring in um, the different perspectives um, for for the event. So, for pe people like me, it's really important to be uh, up to speed. That pressure on us has diminished somewhat, but I think there's been a fundamental change um, mm. uh, uh, I'll tell you something what what well something I think is funny. Uh, but there's been a fundamental change, and I, I don't, I don't think it's gonna, it's gonna change back. And we've, we've um, been very helpful to a lot of organizations looking at their um, uh, meeting agenda and suggesting that they shift things around a little bit. Maybe they didn't see what what their constituency might see, and and we've been able to, to be helpful with some perspective. My favorite um, marching order from a client many years <laughs> ago was, she said, Brian, I, I want some really good speakers and don't give me anybody male, pale or stale. <laughs> male, pale, pale or, or stale. stale. That's, you know what? I'm gonna use that on a dating app. No male, pale, or pale stale. Or I mean, it didn't actually wouldn't fit for me, would it? No, no, I not at all. Them. That's the wrong dating app, maybe. That's the wrong dating app for me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's funny. I love that. You know, and it really does complicate things because, uh, you know, it may seem like a simple request. We, we want to add diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yes, that makes sense. But you are also pairing that with trying to stay on track with goals and objectives mm -hmm. and hitting the the target with regard to the meaning of the speech or the keynote and so it's not always easy to find somebody 
who might represent diversity who can also touch on a specific topic. It's not impossible, but it does complicate things. And in some cases, there just might not be that person, right? I mean, they're just yeah. or that person available. That person in the right budget. I mean, I don't have the stats to back this up, but in terms of equality of pay, uh, the speaking business is a great place not to be um, to be a really good speaker and not be a white man. Mm-hmm. The the pay rate, all else being equal, on a leadership speech, excellent woman, excellent man. The woman probably can charge more. You have my attention. <laughs> more in demand. Yeah, I mean, people people want that. People want people. They don't just want that. They need that. They 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 ought to have it. And mm-hmm. I mean, the laws of supply and the demand are certainly holding true in 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 my business, as well as just about every, uh, every other business. It really is amazing when I see that too, the lack of female representation on a stage, which we still continue to see. It is still, it still amazes me. It's, it just feels so profoundly backward. And, you know, there has to be something systemic in what's happening mm-hmm. on an, on a C-suite level. Uh, for another day, we'll hold on to this topic, but doesn't it feel that way a bit to you, Brian, being out there and, you know, being, being there in the room? I, I see people trying really hard. And, and if they're not trying hard enough, I might try to goad them into, into doing that. I see people working really, really hard. And I think there's been a significant shift. And um, you know, one of the one of the fundamental mistakes that I see people who run and own events make is, is um, uh, valuing speaker fit more than speaker quality. And so that group that looked at wanted to look at 113 that did look at 113 and and ended up hiring a knucklehead, a platform knucklehead. He, he's actually a nice guy. Um, they were looking for a perfect fit. And I think that if you've got a a a agenda that ought to be needs to be diverse, that you should hire an imperfect fit who's a very good speaker that might present some diverse thought. Mm. I mean, people love, they worship the perfect fit, the perfect speaker. Mm. And uh, I think you should be a little bit flexible as to the perfect fit. Because 10 minutes into the speech, an excellent speaker, if they're a, a good fit, is going to be better than a mediocre speaker who's an excellent fit. Thank you for that advice. That's, yeah, that's that's very wonderful advice. 
All right, it's time to get down to the nitty gritty. That means we only have a few minutes left and uh, we have some real hardcore questions. What's the nitty gritty? Oh, it's called... <gasps> the Bolotified Five. What is your golden rule? Do the right thing. What is one of your daily habits you strongly believe contributes to your success? Exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, we are so compatible. It's, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't amuse me still, but uh, what are the things you tell yourself when no one is listening? Be a little bit better. How like old that. would you be if you didn't know how old you are? How old would you be if you didn't know? Well, that's a good question because I just turned 65 and everybody goes, oh, right. You don't look 65. And I always want to know, well, how old do I look? And then they get really funny because they don't want to come up with a number. I think I'm some somewhere in my in my 50s. I, I don't know. I don't know where. But. Say, Doesn't matter. 54. There you go. That's my number. How old do you feel? Well, I got some aches and pains, <laughs> but I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, my health is really good. I don't have any big pains. Um, uh, my car sits low to the ground, and I try not to gr- groan too much when I, <laughs> when I wiggle, wiggle myself. But you can still get in and out of it. <laughs> right. And I'm pretty sure that a, a fairly regular yoga practice has helped me retain youth and vigor. And balance. Yeah. Or strength. Yeah. Oh, I have been wanting to get back to yoga for so long. And then you just, you've just reminded me, I tried to take a class about three weeks ago, but it was the wrong class. It was a flow <laughs> yoga and it was just the wrong thing for me. <laughs> I left halfway through sweating profusely. Um, lastly, what is your why? I, um, I want to, I go through life wanting to make creating a good life for my, myself and a good life for my family and a and a, you know, everybody's responsible for their, for their, for their, the life that they um, lead. But I can do things that help, can help the people I love and the people that are close to me help their life be a, a little bit better. So it's, it's a, it's a mix, mix of things that I do. One of my key love languages is acts of service. So I'm always thinking about things to um, help ease their way. I saw a documentary the other day about the Saturn V rocket. The Saturn V rocket is the rocket that launched the the Apollo um, capsules that did all those things, including going to, to the moon. And so I was, when they landed on the moon, I was 12, but there was a lot that Jim and I, there was a lot of lead up into that. And when they, when they're counting down, you know, 10, nine, eight, there was usually a point at which the guy that was counting down said, all guidance is internal. 
And that's when they disconnected the rocket from the wires that were at Mission Control. And back then they didn't have Wi-Fi. So all, all guidance is internal. And so all guidance is internal. I'm responsible for me. Everybody's responsible for themselves. I can help a little bit, but it it um what happens to me is is mostly a function of what I do and the ways I guide myself. And the choices that you make. Uh, that is really incredible. Um, mm-hmm. I guide myself. It's self-guided. It's, it's a great analogy. Thank you for sharing that with mm-hmm. us. Absolutely. There's so done? much more. So much more. Is, is there more any better. more knit or gritty? No, that was the end of the, the, the nitty gritty. Okay. <laughs> Why? I just I just wondering. Oh no, you you got through it yeah. blendedly. Okay. In fact, we're we're Impressive. pretty much at the end of the interview. I I I did want to ask you about the book on your shelf called What's Your Problem? Oh, it's a great book. It's I a did, great I... book. It's a great book. Is it? Tell us. Thomas Weddles Weddlesborg is the author. He's from Copenhagen. And he believes that we sit around we try to figure everything out fast. You start hearing a problem or a situation and boom, we want to come up with the answer. And he believes that we should sit back and consider situations and not go to our tried and true solutions, Hmm. but figure out ways to take changes in the world, changes of technology, new discoveries, and come up with better solutions. And the story that he tells in the beginning of the book is about this building whose tenants were complaining about how long it took the elevator to come. So they looked into speeding up the elevator or perhaps even replacing the elevator, and they realized it was too expensive. This person on the board or whatever ran the building said, let's install mirrors on the wall around the buttons we, that you push to call the elevator. And some people are like, how's that going to speed up the elevator? What's that going to do? Well, she explained, let's do it and see what happens. I mean, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the story. They changed it. They, they put mirrors up and the complaint stopped. Because people would come up, they'd press the button and they would start checking checking themselves out, thinking, boy, I look cute today, or (laughs) boy, uh, just like Brian, I should probably eat a little bit less. (laughs) People were were checking themselves out, and the complaints stopped. So that's what that book is about, reframing problems. Don't be in a rush to solve things. Say when you're 50, or come up with, use the solutions at 50 that worked when you were 22. And I just want to follow up using your inner guidance and meditating on a problem or meditating on a solution to a problem. Has that helped you? I mean, how important do you think that is to take time, even in our very fast paced world? I find value in 
considering um, new ideas every day. And, um, you know, I've met a lot of interesting people in, in my years. And I was just sitting around with um, Tom Peters, who's written a bunch of business books. And uh, I said something about people doing the things the same, the same way all the time. And, and, and he said that that's the bit he, at the time he said, that's the biggest problem that business people have is not making room in their days and in their mind for new solutions. He said, I've got one poster on my wall in my office. And I forget what he said it was, but it was essentially stop doing the, th the everything, the, the ways that you have, try new things, do new things, and make room in your, in your days for possible new solutions. Beautifully put. Yes. Brian, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for taking time. Uh, what's next before we end the podcast? Anything, uh, anything to look forward to? I've got no, I, I was thinking about that today, the first work day of the new year, a blank slate. Um, I've got a new calendar. Uh, I don't have any big, big plans. I sold my company four years ago and I've enjoyed the new perspective, not running a business, but more focused on what I really enjoy, helping people put on uh, great events. Um, I've got no retirement plans. Uh, I don't. I don't have. I've got some work-related plans. I've got some marketing-related ideas that that I have in place and ready to go. But nothing. Nothing really big. I'm not. I've not found that company um, that wants to hire me to help them build race cars. Yet. <laughs> not but yet. I do. Watch out. We will. We'll be yes. looking for you on the raceways. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you yes. for everything in the last 18 months. And uh, I look forward to more. I hope you do too. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony and Alex, very much. Thank you so much. Bye. Hey, thank you for listening to Bolotified. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe. And remember to leave us your questions or comments at bolotta.com backslash podcast. Bolotified is a production of Bolotta Entertainment. Hey, that's a lot of Bolotta. Stay engaging. Mm -hmm.